it's been nice because conservation has always been a centipede for most Mainers. And there's no reason we can't all be conservationists. Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. In this episode, you'll hear from George Smith. You may know George through his column that's run in the Kennebec Journal for close to 30 years, or as the former director of the Sportsmen's Alliance of Maine. A few months ago, George and I had a wide-ranging conversation at his house in Mount Vernon. He touched on his hopes for the future of wildlife and fisheries protection under Governor Janet Mills and Inland Fisheries and Wildlife Commissioner Judy Camuso. He also shared some reflections from working for over four decades in Maine politics. Here's a little spoiler. There was indeed a time when George had regular meetings with Senator Ed Muskie, so you'll hear about that one too. And finally, I'll add that George was diagnosed with ALS last year. I think I can speak for all of us at NRCM that we are inspired by his commitment to raising awareness of ALS and his continued engagement and advocacy at the State House and through his writing. To all of our listeners, I hope you enjoy this conversation just as I did. Thank you so much, George. And here's the episode. How do you view your role as a writer? I know you've had your column for, I think, yes. over 20 years, but at this particular moment, what's your goal through well, your column? So when I left Sam, I still put in bills. Like last session, I put in 11 of my own bills. So I was still at the legislature a lot, but I wanted to write full-time. And I've been writing the KJ Sentinel editorial page column every week for 28 years. 28. People ask, how did, how did you come up with an idea every week for 28 years? And I said, well... Don't you read the paper? Something aggravates me every day that I could write five editorials, you know. <laughs> and then I started my website and my blog. I started reviewing books for main publishers. That has been so much fun. Sure. I get boxes of books. I do down each books, North Country Press, Tilbury House, Island Port Press. And for seven years, Linda and I did the travel column. We love doing that every week. And so what I've done is I've used both columns to sort of lobby for my issues. That's been pretty effective when I write about something. A lot of people get involved, and especially my outdoor news. They get into wicked arguments. In the comment section? Yeah, now, if it's on my website and it's a nasty comment, I take it off. But the Bangor doesn't. They just leave it all on there. But So I've really enjoyed the writing, and now I'm down to, uh, my hands are really weak, so I only have two fingers. But I use that Dragon software that you talk and it types your words. And it works pretty good, really. It's good. We've got a laptop now that I could actually write with my eyes. It's amazing. Wow. We, Pine Tree Society in Bath taught us how to use it. They recorded my voice so that if I lose my voice, I can type something on the computer and Linda will hear my actual voice saying. So my first two phrases were, I want a beer and I like wine. <laughs> the illness is tough. Sure. My legs are getting really weak, so I use the walker in the house and a wheelchair when we go out. And But I'll tell you, the people with ALS are inspiring. Absolutely. I, I work a lot now with the ALS Association, Northern New England, and they, they help all everybody in Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont. And I'm helping them right now raise money for their annual walks. So I've written seven columns in the newspaper about my illness, but people want to know what's going on. Absolutely. And the paper's been very supportive of letting me do it. Well, you know, thank you for... Oh, I love your... this. And your group is... I love working with them. I mean, I agree with them on all the issues. Yeah. And... Well, thank you, of course, then, for taking the time to meet and have this conversation. And I'd 
be curious to know what are some issues that you're you're following closely right now related to conservation or well of course i focus on the fish and wildlife department yes so i listen to the hearings i've written testimony on three bills that my friends read my testimony on my turkey bill yesterday i bet they mentioned my name two dozen times <laughs> dave trahan from sam got up and actually opposed my bill and he said, George, do not report that I opposed your bill. Yeah. And then I wrote three columns about what they did yesterday. But I do conservation issues. Sure. And then in my KJ column, I focus more on bigger issues like taxes. or I mean, I could write every day, honestly. There's a ton of stuff going on. Are there any issues that you're following now that are causes for optimism, causes for concern? What's, what's well, captured I, your attention? I'm very optimistic because of Janet. We've gone over her goals and my goals, and a lot of people don't know she has a great sense of humor, and she loves to fly fish. So somebody has created the Governor Janet Streamer Fly. In fact, she gave me one. I've got one. And uh, she's backing Judy and all that she wants to do at Fish and Wildlife. We've got some really significant changes coming at Fish and Wildlife. Improvement. And Janet's a strong conservationist. You know, so we're going to get land for Main Street money. You know we are. I've been impressed. Fish and Wildlife Committee has basically done whatever Judy has. So I told you, get in there and get a good relationship going with the committee, and she did. And they really trust her, which is excellent. But that's what I do, and lately there's been so many things. I've gotten to write, started to write columns with like six issues in there instead of just one. There's a mainstream on my website, georgesmithmain.com, where you can see all the articles I've written yes. for the KJ. And so you could pick out a few conservation issues. Well, I know that for the past six or seven years, you've written a bit about how climate change is impacting Maine. Oh, yes. And I'd like to know what informed your choice to focus on this issue and raise your voice in the column. Well, I think it was a lot of reading. I mean, certainly NRCM's uh, activism helped. Got a lot of information from them, but I read everything nationally and even spoke to Angus about it. You know, Angus and I are very close. My dad did an ad for Angus and his first campaign, and essentially they wanted a real Mainer. So we picked Dad, we did it in his living room, and the essence of his message was, yes, Angus is from Virginia, but he's still okay. <laughs> he and Dad became great friends. So I've talked to them, and... Uh, I've actually talked to Jared, too. He's all over this. But I think it was just reading over time. And also, very much it was my experiences. I, I can see the changes. The environment, the North Woods, wildlife has changed tremendously. I mean, we have opossums now. We never had opossums. And you're seeing different birds. And some are disappearing. And uh, the habitat changes for deer. I mean... I've seen the impact on habitat, and so that was very convincing for me because I'm in the woods. I was in the woods. I lived in the woods, you know, and I could see the changes. Like, we've been here 40 years, and for the first time last year, this stream stopped flowing for six weeks. I've never seen anything like that, and it wasn't good for the fish. And I, I have seen serious changes in the fish population. So, well, here's another thing. I used to go up, it's about an hour to Rangeley and another 20 minutes to some of my favorite waters. And I would fish for the day and come home at night. And one night, 
I saw 40 moose along the road. You know, in the spring, they're right there eating the salt, licking the salt. 40. A few times I went, I didn't see a single moose. So that tells me something, too. What's happening to the moose, you know? Why do we have ticks now? We never had ticks. All of those things convince me it's almost too late. we got to get going on this. Janet is all about it, so that's very helpful. I hope the legislature gives her everything she's asked for. So when people contact me and want me to write something, I usually do. Like I jumped into the CMP thing. It's a horrible thing. And is there a particular reason that you're concerned about it? It's all the ruining the habitat. I thought that TV ad they got with this, this couple has this remote sporting camp where people come to enjoy the mountains, hiking and snowmobile, and they showed the mountains. It's incredible. And that thing is going right through those mountains. Their business will be ruined. That's a very powerful ad. Have you spent a lot of time in that particular region? Oh, yes. The Forks and Rangeley and Jackman. I mean, I've hunted and fished all over there for a long time. I especially like Rangeley area. I have fished every water in Rangeley. There are a few particular issues that I'd just like to hear your perspective on. And, you know, this year is the 20th anniversary of the removal of the Edwards Dam. Would you share some of your memories from being part of the coalition to remove the dam and and what stands out? Well, before it was removed, I used to stand in the river and catch fish below the dam. So it wasn't that easy a decision to take it out. But I quickly figured out we'd have a lot more fish. And almost the day after it went out, my friend Harry Vanderweide and I started fishing in Waterville to Sydney. Unbelievable fishing. So it opened up all the... Then we went to the Sebastopol. We got that open because there's a lot of spawning area. Right. And that was really the... I mean, I don't take any credit for it. It was environmental groups. I mean, I participated, but they really got the job done. And I applauded them for it. But then I became a a real advocate for getting rid of dams. I still am. Still got a lot of dams that are not even used anymore, but are preventing our fish from getting up a river. But they have accomplished a lot by taking out dams. So a lot of other fish have benefited. And so dams are a huge problem still in a lot of places for our native fisheries. But it was really the Edwards Dam that got me started on that. Was it? And so I, I and I credit the environmentalists really with that. I wouldn't have really thought about it because I was catching fish below the dam, you know. I'd go over on my lunch hour and catch seven or eight fish. You have written often and frequently about water quality protections. Yes, that's huge. I'd like to hear more about some things that stand out, but one of my coworkers, when I was planning for this conversation, he remembered a couple of years ago for the mining bill to to ban mining in the state. I heard a story that you testified and you brought a carving that your father had made of brook trout. Yes. Am I thinking of yes. Is this? Yes. It might have been that one right there. I think it was. No and the point was that that mining was going to do terrible harm to a huge area of native brook trout waters. And it was our bill from Sam that protected the first 300 of those. The department imposed it. And then it was my bill... I put in to protect the tributaries. Department opposed it. Then they saw the committee was liking it, so they said they'd do it. They formed a committee. They didn't do it. They brought back a report. They lied about it. And two members of their working group got up and said the department report is not truthful. 
that was devastating for the department. So then they had to go back and promise to do it. And right now there's rules coming through in which they not only did that, but they went beyond what I was going for. So we're going to make another leap forward in protecting our native brook trout this year. Yeah, could you tell me more about the... Because, I mean, we have all basically all the native brook trout lakes and ponds that are left in this country. It's an incredible resource, and it should be protected, not because of the department, but because of the rest of us, we've done it. And because at the legislature, I had to work with both parties. So, you know, that was just the way I did it, and you have to work with both parties. I was telling the story a lot lately. In the old days, the Senate would adjourn. We'd go into the Senate president's office, and he had a bar. You'd have a drink. Everybody go to dinner. They got to know each other and be friends. Now, it doesn't mean they agreed, but when you're friends, you work it out. I think 12 years ago, they banned alcohol. And I joked, they need to bring it back. You know? <laughs> there were some committee chairs that we would hang out after the hearing. Most people were left. We'd go up, he'd pull his desk out. He had a bar in his desk. But the point is, they got to know each other. Today, legislators, they don't know each other. You know, it's sad. They all go home as soon as anything's done. And uh, last session was the worst in my 50 years of being there. Is that so? Well, look, it went five months too long. and They couldn't compromise on anything. You almost always have to compromise, you know, to get what you want. Well, this is maybe shifting away from the State House, but I know that you created the Outdoor Heritage Fund. And in your book, I think you said it was your best idea ever. And so would you mind just telling listeners what this is and maybe some yeah. projects that, that stand out to you? One session, we had not got the money for several fish and wildlife important projects. And I was up fishing at camp thinking we... And I came up with the idea of a new source of money. So I came back and Sam endorsed it that I worked for, and then I got Audubon involved. And so we decided we'd do a citizen initiative. And Chris Potom did the poll for us. And of all the options for funding, the people outstandingly picked a lottery. So we decided to create a lottery game. And uh, it was a $1 game. At that time, I think it was all the lottery games were $1. We got the signatures. We worked together. And then we were very surprised the legislature enacted it. It was only the second citizen initiative in history they'd ever done. And then Angus wow. signed it into law. So I was on the board the first 10 years. And they've now given over $20 million, mm-hmm. even for outside agencies, outside groups, to apply for funding. They have to get the endorsement of a state agency, pretty much conservation or fish and wildlife. And so it is. it was built around the agencies. Their commissioners are on the board. I think they've done a super job. You know, they've given over $20 million. Yeah. But the funding has gone way down. So we want to beef up the money again. But it is, I mean, if you ever looked at all the projects that's done around the state, it's tremendous. Yeah, well, you know, I printed out the 2018 grants, and yeah. it's a pretty great list. But And it's very diverse. Yeah. I don't know if you want to take a look. Audubon, this proposal will encourage landowners, foresters, and loggers to manage their forests with an emphasis on creating bird-friendly habitats. You know, the next page, there's something about the... Well, look at this, the 4-H Outdoor Learning Center. That is a fabulous yeah. program for kids. Grassland birds, forest research. I mean, very diverse. It's wild turkeys. I mean, everything you can imagine. And it's very competitive. I love being on the board. I was on with 
lady from Audubon. So I was Stockwell for 10 years. And uh, right off the bat, we started getting fabulous applications. And we encouraged it and publicized it and very pleased with what they've been able to do. But now they need to jack up their money again. So we'll see. I don't know if they'll do anything this session or not. I haven't really talked to Janet about it, but it's a place where we, I mean, people willingly gamble. And what we always said about our ticket, you can't lose because your money's going to this. Sure. Even if you don't win, you know? Yeah, well, it's, so. it, it's a great idea. And are there any other past campaigns that stand out to you um, that you've worked on or that you're really proud of the outcome? Well, of course, the first 20 years, I worked for candidates. In Bill Cohen's first campaign for Congress, I was driving in personal aid. I don't know if you know even who Bill is, but he had an incredible career. He was in the Senate. He was Secretary of State. I mean, he's an amazing guy. But I worked on his very first campaign. And I could tell, I could write a book about Bill. He did a walk, 600 mile walk. He was the first one in the country to ever do that. And then it became popular with candidates. So two years later, I was 25 years old. I managed Dave Emery's campaign for Congress. Dave was in the legislature. And we ran against incumbent Democrat, Peter Kairos. Well, we didn't even plan to win. And we won. (laughs) Kairos thought we were a joke. He didn't even campaign. So we won by 860 votes. We had three recounts. And one of them was in Washington, D.C. And so Dave and I get to D.C. We were 26 by then. Young Republicans, no idea what we were doing. And Ed Muskie was this big, prominent Democratic senator. Ed did everything he could to help us. We had all kinds of meetings in his private office. And uh, today, no prominent member of one party would help a young person in the other party. Just wouldn't happen. But it did then, and some of Dave's best friends were Democratic members of Congress. I lived with Dave in a house in Alexandria the first year, but I hated living down there. Did you? So I created a job where I could go back and forth. And then in 82, Dave ran for the Senate against George Mitchell and lost. And so that's when I started my own business. I did comprehensive plans for eight main towns. That's when we first started those. That was fun. It was most of my rural towns didn't like being told by the state what they had to do. So my plans were full of instructions to the state what they should do. It was funny. And uh, I started managing ballot measure campaigns. I did a lot of those, both collecting signatures and managing the campaigns. 82, I was president of SAM. I was on the board. In 91, and I got off the board next year, but by 1991, they had fallen on real hard times. They lost almost all their members there. The director was a disaster. And so they fired him and hired me as a consultant. I got things squared away, and I liked it so much I stayed for 18 years. But a lot of people don't realize, even when I worked for Sam, I worked here at home. If I worked in the office, I could get nothing done because everybody came in and wanted to visit with me, you know. And I spent, I focused on the legislature because over 90% of our members every year said they were in SAM because we represented them at the legislature. That's really important part of the job. And But we started all kinds of initiatives. I mean, we, we were conservationists. We really were. And I was very involved. Immediately, I partnered with all environmental groups. So I, I reached out for SAM, and we all worked together. And we accomplished a lot of great things over the years. And then 
after 18 years, I decided I wanted to do the writing, and I was ready to leave. But it sounds like you, you're still no stranger to the State House, and you're still really involved. Well, it's frustrating, because I, but I've been joking with the members of the committee that their work and sessions and hearings are way shorter now that I'm not there. But a lot of the times, you know, a lot of legislators today don't have any historical knowledge. Our term limits have been disastrous for that. And they would call me up to the podium to explain the history of an issue, because I've been there forever, you know. And I, I really found that valuable. I was more a partner than a lobbyist, you know. And uh, I miss that, I really do. And I was going in for a hearing, but it's such a job to get there, and upstairs and in there. And so both Ed and James are reading my testimony whenever. And the committee's very open. I hear from them. If they have a question about a history of an issue, they'll call me or email me. So I still am involved as much as I can be. It's been nice because conservation has always been a centerpiece for most Mainers. Well, when I was an active Republican, we were the conservationists. We, we started the Land for Mainers Future Program, Republicans. And uh, today, it's just the opposite. I, the polarization and the, I mean, honestly, over my whole career, I had friends in both parties. Not today. We gotta get that fixed. It's really hurting us terribly. And there's no reason we can't all be conservationists. I hope the Republicans embrace the land for Maine's future bond issue. They should. It's gonna win on the ballot. And I like the new plan, probably gonna use the money. And I mean, look how lucky we are to have North Maine Woods. Absolutely. Three million acres. People complained to me when the price went up, but that was because the minimum wage went up. All the money they take in at the gate go to the staff who maintain the gate. The landowners get nothing, but they let us use their land, which is amazing. Yeah. Very lucky. And they have a place like Baxter Park. Holy cow. Let's not tell people about it, okay? Thanks again. That was George Smith. Please visit his website at georgesmithmain.com to read his outdoor news, book reviews, travel tips, and other reflections. To learn more about NRCM and hear other episodes of our podcast, you can visit our website at nrcm.org. If you like what you heard today, you can and you should subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.